One of the best ways to get to know what's going on in the automotive industry and where it is headed is to talk with executives in the supplier industry. They're not just involved in making what's needed today, but laying the groundwork for what's coming tomorrow. That's why my guest on today's show is Bill Kazira, the CEO of the supplier company, TI Automotive. If you drive a car, chances are you have a fuel tank made by TI, or a fuel pump, or fuel lines, and that's no matter where in the world your car was made. Also joining me on today's show is Dave Vanderwerp, the technical director of Car and Driver magazine. So stay right where you are. We're going to get a look at what's going on in the global auto industry from a supplier's point of view right after this. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to the studio now for AutoLine Detroit, where our special guest today is Bill Kazira, the CEO of TI Automotive. And great to have you here on the set, Bill. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. And joining me on my journalist panel today is Dave Vandervoort, the technical director for Car and Driver magazine. And great having you here as well, Dave. But, Bill, let's, let's talk about what you see going on from a supplier's vantage point. To me, you guys are the front line of what's happening because if you're not making parts, the car industry is not making cars and nobody's selling them. So from a supplier's vantage point, as you look out in the industry right now, how does it look to you? Yeah, well, we're, we're really um, pretty pleased, John, that uh, 2010 so far has been a much better year than, than last year. Uh, automotive volumes around the world are up. And uh, with that tailwind in combination with all of the aggressive cost reductions that we all did in the industry, both at the OEM level and supplier level, um, quite frankly, um, the profits and potential for profits are, are increasing. So uh, it's, it's a much better time. Uh, we're cautiously optimistic about the future. Um, we look at our company as a global tier one supplier of uh, automotive fluid systems. Um, we've got 15,000 employees around the world, and so we're virtually in, in most every country where cars are produced, which in our case is 26 different countries and six continents. So uh, the industry in general on a global basis is moving along at a fairly improving pace, um, and so we're cautiously optimistic, and, and I think uh, most Tier 1 suppliers would, would share that perspective of the industry. Let's bore in on the American market. All year long, it seemed like things were getting better, slightly better. And then we hit July, August, and it looks like we've hit a plateau. What do you see for the balance of the year in the U.S. market? Yeah, well, for the U.S. market right now, our production releases remain uh, fairly solid. So even though we would have one month where the sales might be soft compared to the last few, um, we're continuing to build to a fairly normal increasing production schedule here in North America. So we think the fourth quarter is going to be pretty decent as we now come through the third quarter. Uh, the month of July was pretty good. Normally July is, is not such a great month, but uh, I think July surprised everybody. And, uh, you know, we think the year is going to end up being uh, at a point where at least in North America, uh, most suppliers ought to be probably just about break-even or slightly above break-even point from a profitability. But what I'm hearing from you is you're doing better than just break-even. We're doing a little bit better than break-even. We, we've worked real hard the last few years to restructure our North American operations and our business here to be able to be in that position. Now, Bill, some of that, I've heard some people talk about, I mean, a lot of the suppliers have shown really good numbers uh, so far this year with the slight you know, upturn in, the, in sales again. Um, but some people have been saying maybe the cuts went too far in the past, and so they're not real gains right now because R&D got cut too much, for example. 
Um, can you speak to that a sure. little bit? Well, actually, at TI Automotive, we've actually increased R&D spending the last year. Now, we've done it at the expense of cutting in other areas. And, of course, we had a, a major reduction in our workforce, particularly in North America, the last two years. But one of the things we've tried to do on a global basis, and in particular in North America, as the volumes have come back, is to really manage our fixed costs and not let our fixed cost uh, increase. So while our sales this year over last year are up maybe 35% globally, our fixed costs are flat. We have not increased them at all. Now, we know we will have to add additional resources uh, or, or employees in certain parts of the world as our business is growing there faster than we had anticipated, for example, in China or in India. Uh, or even in Europe, where we, we've secured some fairly large new business platforms, we will be hiring and, and adding some resources to our, uh, our, our, our workforce. Speaking of R&D, TI Automotive is known, I think, mainly for fuel lines. Do you feel threatened at all with electric cars coming on board? I mean, uh, presumably, if electrics really were to catch on at some point, who needs fuel lines anymore? Yeah, you, you might think that eventually fuel lines um, and even brake lines with the potential for brake-by-wire will be eliminated. But the fact of the matter is, if you look at today's content per vehicle in terms of our type of components that, that carry or deliver or store automotive fluids, and you say it's X, that X actually increases as um, hybrid vehicles and electric vehicles come in as there's new automotive fluids that have to be dealt with. Like what? Well, for example, liquid cooling of some of the, the, um, the components that get hot with electric vehicles. Like the batteries. batteries yeah. Some of the power electronics, for example. Um, as you look at uh, even diesels uh, now, um, they will require some emission treatment capability with the AdBlue or the urea for the exhaust uh, treatment of the nitrous oxide particles. So uh, that's a new automotive fluid that while it's been around in low volume, you're going to see it in, in higher volume going forward. So that urea, of course, has to be stored in the vehicle, delivered in the vehicle, and, and pumped uh, through the lines in the vehicle. So the, the, my point is the content per vehicle actually goes up in the near term, near term being the next, let's say, five to ten years. And if you go off 30 years, if you say that the entire uh, population is 50% electric cars, for example. The content per vehicle actually just comes down to the same level it's at today. So we're not too concerned about the long-term outlook of, of uh, eliminating brake and fuel lines, although this company, uh, TI Automotive, has been around for 88 years. We started uh, in 1922 supplying the fuel lines for the Model T for Henry Ford. No kidding. Yes. Um, so the, the business uh, started in that area, and of course we progressed through acquisition and growth into producing other products such as brake lines, which are a double wall steel construction, fuel tanks, fuel pumps, and now the whole uh, explosion in the powertrain area where we're producing powertrain components, specifically in gasoline direct injection, fuel rails and fuel tubes, as well as the high pressure diesel uh, fuel injection fuel tubes. What about weight reduction? Uh, you know, that, that seems to be something that automakers are focusing on right now. Uh, particularly when you get to the Detroit 3 automakers who got some catching up to do in taking weight out of their cars, especially with corporate average fuel economy regulations facing them. What can you offer the industry in that regard? Yeah, well, if you, if you go back over the last, say, 20 years in the area of fuel tanks, fuel tanks have moved away from steel and are now about 85% plastic around the world. So the move from steel fuel tanks to plastic will continue. At the same time, there are other components around the fuel tank that are also moving from steel to plastic, um, specifically the filler neck in the vehicles. If you look at vehicles that are 
uh, sold in Europe, uh, they would have a plastic filler neck. The filler neck is from where the filler nozzle of the gasoline and the quarter panel goes uh, through down into the tank. In North America, a lot of these filler necks are still steel. And so there's a huge potential to um, redesign these steel filler necks and go to a plastic, taking on not only weight but taking out cost as well. So that move will continue. Um, it was also thought that, that steel tanks were needed to be able to achieve the zero emission uh, requirement to minimize the amount of hydrocarbons that permeate out of the gas tank into the atmosphere. And uh, now we've actually developed a new zero emission fuel tank, which won the uh, PACE uh, Innovation Award in 2009 that uh, traps those hydrocarbons inside the tank in a plastic tank through a series of multiple layers of technology as well as redesigning the tank um, to meet those ever stringent requirements on uh, emissions. So TI makes the tanks in addition to the fuel lines? Yes, we do. Yeah, we're actually what else uh, do you make? We're fully integrated. So we would start actually with producing the fuel pumps. So we start with the electric motor that's in the fuel pump and, and, and buy the armature and do the old electric wiring of the fuel pump, produce the pump, produce the module that the pump goes down in the bottom. That's the plastic uh, module that goes in the fuel tank with the fuel level indicator. We make the fuel level indicator ourselves. And then we blow mold the tanks, and we actually assemble the fuel pump with the module and the tank, including the tank top lines, which are the lines that would, for example, carry the vapors from the high points in the tank back into the tank. Those are typically nylon lines. We would make the quick connectors that connect those plastic lines together, um, and then actually take the fuel from the tank through the fuel lines all the way on up to the engine, and actually through the fuel rail, through the fuel tube, right into the injector, that uh, is in the engine uh, cylinder. So um, we're very vertically integrated as well as a complete system provider of, of not only fuel, but all automotive fluids. So we're doing the same thing uh, with oil for transmissions and for turbochargers. We're doing the same thing for heating, ventilation, air conditioning with heater hoses and air conditioning hoses. So anything in the car that requires fluid to be transferred around the vehicle, um, we're a leading producer of those products and systems. I was going to mention, I did a story, it's going to be in the November issue of Car and Driver, on their fuel tanks. And there's a lot of really cool stuff going on in that area right now. Um, you talked about the, the PZEV-capable plastic, which, which can save as much as 50% uh, in terms of weight versus steel, um, according to you know, his technical guys I spoke with. And, um, you know, there's various other things going around that you never hear about. Even us at Car and Driver sort of, you know, always, uh, you know, steeped in the product. Uh, so it seems like some of that, uh, I guess I would put to you to try to get that out there more. There's, there's um, you know, that technology is really not known that well. And there's a number of other things going around when they're talking about cars like the Volt, for example, which can go 40 miles electric only. One of the big problems with that is slosh noise in the tank. So there's, you know, with new technologies comes new problems. And, you know, his team of guys is is, uh, you know, the R&D pace is probably quickening to meet all these various different challenges because there's still the standard uh, fuel tank and then there's, you know, hybrids and, you know, extended range electrics and um, at the same time, you know, diesel after treatment and just, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Right. You know, you mentioned slosh. Um, I've been driving vehicles for nearly 40 years myself and I can't ever recall hearing the fuel sloshing around in the tank. But when our engineers started talking about, hey, we've got to start to look at putting some baffles inside the tank to reduce slosh, I realized that as everything is getting quieter around the vehicle, inside the vehicle, you hear things that you might not otherwise hear. 
uh, particularly with hybrid vehicles, when they're in electric mode, you know, you have a very quiet vehicle that all of a sudden you can, in fact, hear the fuel sloshing around in the tank. So the unique, unique opportunity for TI Automotive is that hybrid vehicles, uh, when they're in the electric mode, uh, will build pressure in the fuel tank. And so most of today's electric cars actually have steel tanks to deal with that pressure. Well, we've designed and developed a reinforced plastic pressurized fuel tank for hybrid vehicles that actually will, will be able to handle that internal pressure that's built up as the vapors uh, are created from the fuel slashing around. That internal structure that we use to keep the plastic fuel tank from expanding beyond the specification under pressure is the same structure that can create the baffles to reduce the noise in the fuel tank. So you'll get, uh, if you will, inherent capabilities as these technologies come to overlap with one another for uh, multiple benefits. So you've got plastic being lightweight, um, you've got the zero emissions, with me, which means a lot of the components are internal to the tank versus external. You've got the, the reinforced structure to handle the pressure, at the same, which needs to be in there anyhow to carry these internal components. And then you get the residual benefit of having baffles as part of the structure to reduce the slosh noise. So at the end of the day, it becomes uh, a value equation. And, and for our customers, the OEMs, we're able to provide uh, you know, multiple benefits in going to a plastic reinforced or pressurized style tank that's of the zero emission technology and can get the best of all uh, of all worlds in, in one design. I think most people are unaware of how much technology's got to go into the fuel system for emissions. I mean, everybody knows that there's emission standards that control the exhaust coming out of the tailpipe, but a lot of people are not aware of how much just evaporates out of the car and how that's all got to be controlled these days. Yeah, that's that's a, that's been a big challenge. If you just go back maybe five or ten years ago, you know, the typical fuel system um, would have a specification for hydrocarbon emissions. Uh, in just the static sense of the car just sitting there, if you will, of like 2,500 milligrams in a 24-hour period. So that's, that's the specification. It's, it's in terms of milligrams of hydrocarbons that permeate in a 24-hour period. Well, today's zero emission specification is 54 versus 2,500. And we actually produce tanks today that are performing in the range of 10 milligrams in a 24-hour period. So if you look at the, you know, couple of orders of magnitude improvement in just this reduction in, in uh, hydrocarbons that can escape from the fuel tank, and it starts with the design of the filler neck and the cap where the nozzle goes in and how you treat the, the, the hydrocarbons that are created during the filling process. Those typically will go into a carbon canister and are later, you know, brought back out of that carbon canister and, and are, you know, recirculated in, in a, in a um, uh, contained fashion, as well as the vapors that are created in the tank during the filling process or during the normal driving duty cycle process. Those vapors have to be contained within the tank and stay in the tank. No different than the fuel going up to the engine, any unburned fuel, we actually have a vapor return line now coming from the engine back to the gas tank to bring those unburned vapors back into the fuel tank. So if you think of the, the level of sophistication that just the fuel system alone that uh, these vehicles have just to deal with minimizing the hydrocarbons that are released to our atmosphere, uh, it's, it's quite sophisticated. What about biofuels? I mean, uh, we have E10 right now. In fact, if you try to buy any gasoline, chances are 10% of it's actually ethanol. 
the EPA is considering whether they should bump that up to 15, E15, which would be a 50% in increase. You've got other flex fuel vehicles that run on 85% ethanol. In Brazil, they've got E100, 100% ethanol. What does that do to the fuel system, and what do you have to do to account for biofuels? Yeah, that, it, it actually changed the materials that we use to produce these products significantly. So when, when E85 first came out, um, it really brought a whole new dimension to, to the fuel system, starting with the fuel pump. So buried down in the gas tank is this fuel pump that has to pump the fuel out, you know, based on demand. Um, typically, E85 will, would corrode very quickly the fuel pump of yesterday. So we were actually one of the first to introduce an E85 ready or capable fuel pump to the U.S. market that many of the OEMs used and, and still in production today. But that same pump, it would be great if it can be used also for all forms of fuel, including uh, biodiesel and, and diesel fuels. So we've really looked to optimize the materials to have that full capability for all fuels. And quite frankly, some of the contaminants that get in the fuel tank. If you think about the car, the only fluid system in the car that's open to anybody adding something other than what's intended for is the fuel tank, right? And unfortunately, contamination gets in the fuel tank. In the ideal scenario, you want to be able to deal with that, that contamination or screen it out or filter it out. But when you hear about people having issues with, with fuel pumps um, or with cars not starting uh, 99 times out of 100, it's a result of some contaminant getting in the fuel tank. So uh, a lot of care is taken to, to make the designs and the systems robust for not only the variation in fuels, but also for the potential contaminants that can come in the fuel tank. And going from E10 to E15, would that require any changes? Yeah, that will require some additional enhancements, but those are things the engineers have been working on for quite some time. Uh, we've been able to foresee a lot of those new fuels coming and, and further drive the level of, of materials to a level where there, it wouldn't make a difference where we go in terms of, of fuel or, or contaminants for all intent and purposes uh, in terms of the, um, the fuel system's performance. But... Um, uh, a lot of things change when you go to these new fuels. For example, the fuel level sender. Uh, this is a device that gives you an indication how much fuel you have, and it sends the signal up to your dashboard, up to your, your gauge, of course. Uh, that had to be totally redesigned. It's a mechanical-type device in the back of the, the fuel tank, and that had to be completely redesigned to be, for example, sealed, so there's no contact of the fuel whatsoever with the, the sending unit. And the next generation of fuel level senders will be a non-mechanical type device. It's actually a piezoelectric sensor that sits on the bottom of the tank. It's non-mechanical. It sends a signal up to uh, some average fluid level, and the, the signal bounces back down to the tank, and it then sends your signal to your gas gauge as to how much fuel you have in the car. So um, these are the evolutions that will come, and they will continue to come um, just in the fuel system area alone. And you're right, they, they are getting more sophisticated. Uh, they are moving towards lighter weight. At the same time, you know, our customers expect lower cost. And you can imagine with the increased requirements around the industry on fuel economy, on hydrocarbon permeation, it's challenging to design these future um, models and, and designs, if you will, um, uh, at lower cost. But it we're doing it. It sounds we're impossible. Doing. I mean, to add all this technology, seal the thing up tight as a drum, and, and do it cheaper almost sounds counterintuitive. Yeah. But well, part of the trick will be moving to family of designs. So if you go back 10 and 20 years ago, and if you laid out the number of fuel pumps that are in just the North American produced cars, you would be surprised how many different variants there were. 
And now what we're trying to do is go to family of designs because there's no reason why a product like a fuel pump can't be common across multiple car lines within an OEM or across OEMs, quite frankly, because it is a product that consumers don't see, but we look for the performance. And with refinement of the designs, we can cover a wider range of, of performance with something like a fuel pump. A uh, gas tank would typically be more uh, um, unique to a particular platform. The gas tank, for example, in a rear-wheel drive car is typically under the rear seat of the car. And it's typically a saddle tank because you have a drive shaft coming through that separates the two halves of the fuel tank. So uh, that's a fundamentally different design for a rear-wheel drive car. So, but the trick there would be to have the same tank for the, um, the zero emission version as well as that vehicle that will be sold in some countries that don't quite yet have the stringent zero emission requirements. So in North America here, I would say the whole industry would pretty much be on this partial zero emission, or we call it PZEV, designed by around 2015. But that won't necessarily be required for every country around the world. So um, where we can optimize uh, cost, uh, you know, that will be done. But uh, some OEMs are out there designing one basic design that will, in fact, be produced and sold around the world. And that also drives uh, you know, efficiencies and economies to scale to reduce cost and do what is normally illogical in terms of uh, increased performance and, and capability. But I see that as kind of one of the, I guess, benefits, if you could call it that, of the new regulations, is that um, as an engineer, and I know as you, you know, are an engineer as well, that, that gets me excited because there's all this R&D work that can be done. There's all these things that might not have been done and these lengths that might not have been gone to if you didn't have to for for the regulations purposes or to get weight out to increase fuel economy for cafe purposes and uh, I think this could bring back some of the uh, automotive some of the sexiness to the to engineers because you you talk to young guys you know coming out of college and they don't see the automotive industry as nearly as exciting as it used to be and you know it's full of bailouts and bankruptcy and this that and the other thing and and uh, you know all this sort of behind-the-scenes stuff going on, it, you know, throughout all the suppliers and all the OEMs, really uh, makes me excited about the future. I mean, as as we all know, it's very up in the air as to what we're going to be driving in the future. And there's you know electrics coming and and various other solutions that people are working on now. And, so are your engineers as excited as Dave thinks they should be, or are they going, ay, 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 look at the workload we've got? Yeah, no, I, I, I believe they are. In fact, uh, you know, we, we quite often talk about the very, very bright future that we have in the industry in general. And, and within our company, we look at the trends, the trends around improving fuel economy, around emissions, and uh, around, you know, uh, lightweight uh, design and materials. And so our engineers are pretty excited because while we, we design and produce components of systems that, you know, you don't see, they're not the sexy parts on the car, they are highly engineered products that are safety-related products. And when you design a fuel system, you design it, and it has to perform not to have a drop of fuel, you know, on the ground in the lifetime of a vehicle. So we start talking about all the different connections that, that go from the tank, you know, up through the vehicle, through these connections, and up into the engine, and then back from the engine back into the tank, that's no easy task. But, um, you know, when you've got uh, the, the leading edge technology, which, which we have, and, and uh, 
um, the engineers that are located strategically in the right parts of the world to interface with your customers, um, then you have the right recipe, I think, to be excited about uh, the future of the industry and the future of cars. And you know, this technology will continue to evolve in, in a very sophisticated and, and optimized way when you just step back and look at the big picture. And you have a chance to stand out from the crowd and come up with something, you know, a breakthrough product that other people can't. I mean, it's certainly better than the alternative where it's sort of commoditized products and you just sort of try to engineer out cost, which obviously cost is a big, big point. But uh, to uh, have the potential to come up with these things like the first uh, PZEV-capable plastic tank and and stuff like that. Yep. And on that note, we're going to have to wrap it up. But Bill Kazira, thanks so much for coming on and talking all about what TI Automotive is doing. And Dave Vanderwerf from uh, Car and Driver Magazine, thank you too. And I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. Who would have ever thought there's so much research, development, and technology that goes into something as simple as a gas tank? And I'm sure most people were unaware of how important a role the gas tank plays in reducing emissions. Just goes to show how complicated this auto industry can be. Join us again next week when my guest will be Jack Hollis, who runs the Scion brand for Toyota. Scion started out with a bang several years ago, but sales have been surprisingly sluggish lately. And we'll want to learn the story behind what's going on at the brand and what it'll take to get it going again. But that brings us to the end of this show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you here next week.